Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The CV CV Report. TPS Report. The CV Report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. Sucky. Yeah. I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. All right, first up on the CV Report, we're going to start with something kind of new, the Reporter Roundtable. Although it's more of an oblong-shaped table, but I'm here with Abby Bennett and Kayla Jackson, two of our very fine reporters at ConnectingVets.com. Ladies, how are you? Good, good. Good. How are you, Phil? I'm good. Um, interesting week. And as we all cross talk across the computers in the newsroom, uh, I've heard you guys all working on very interesting stories. And Kayla, you know, Abby, whenever she works on something about weed, it's going to pique my interest, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, she's worked with me for two years. She knows what my favorite subjects are. And weed is one of them. <laughs> but I then can't you, blame you also worked on something, Kayla, that was totally fascinating. And before we get to Abby on the weed, um, you were at a hearing on Capitol Hill on women's issues, specifically. Lady veterans um, and just the, the challenges that they face uh, at the VA, you know, accessing care, uh, what kind of makes them nervous to go to the VA. Uh, specifically, there was a big report done by VA uh, not too long ago and showed that one in four women experience sexual uh, harassment when going into the VA from male veterans. Um, so that's everything from catcalling, you know, side comments, um, just making women feel uh, uncomfortable. So uh, that was kind of the basis for the conversation and the hearing and, and just, you know, women vets getting up there and, and testimony. And, and just sharing, you know, what needs to be done to change change the culture at the VA. Wow. Now, I think what we were taken with is as you sat through this hearing were how many people were in attendance. And when I say how many people were in attendance, I mean, I don't expect a huge peanut gallery to show up or fans or an audience to perform in front of. But I'm talking about Congress people, the elected officials whose job it is is to hear what goes on in these hearings and help the decision making process or help craft legislation. By your count, how many did you actually see? I saw six, six members of Congress, um, which I was a little surprised um, going into to the hearing room. Uh, you know, the women came up, showed up, showed out, full seat, um, of course, on, on the witness panel. 
and those who came to represent for their respective organizations. But when I, you know, puked my head up over the press table, you know, cramped in the corner there, uh, from my count and from those who asked questions, I only saw six members of Congress. Mm. And then we get into work this morning, and Abby, you were there. You heard the phone ringing off the hook, and of course it was people, I don't know who specifically was calling us, but they were calling our office to say that our headline was wrong, and they had told us something about how legislators can be marked as there, even though even though Caleb might not have even seen them. How is it that works? Well, I think, you know, legislators can be marked as present at a meeting, even if they don't um, really actively participate in the meeting, if they're not, you know, actively acting question, asking questions. Um, most legislators get a turn when they're at a hearing. Um, they get about five minutes to ask questions and, and say their piece. Um, but you can also be there and, and give up your time and just sit and listen or um, not actively participate. So, And Kayla, as you suspect, some of them could basically just duck in and duck out. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of, you know, on one part, the nature of it, because they've got a lot going on. There's a lot of different hearings and different issues. Uh, but on the other side of that, you know, it's it's a little disheartening. Um, and you can, you know, you may be calling me biased because I'm coming from, of course, that women perspective. But, you know, if you're coming to this hearing talking about things that you care about or are important to you and you see a member of Congress, you know, come in through the back door, sit in the row and then don't say anything and get up and walk out because they have something else to do. It's kind of like, well, do you really count that as participation? Right. Um, you know, it's, I think there is some so there's some back and forth about um, who was there, who I saw counting. Um, from my account, you know, asking questions um, and then, you know, through a, a flurry of emails and, and calls, um, was told that there were actually 12 members of Congress present. Well, actually, I was told there were 11 members and then I was given a subcommittee, um, you know, sheet, if you will, like, you know, you call how many people were present. And I, I counted 12 um, on the sheet, even though I was told 11. But that's not the count that I noticed of people who were participating. So right. it was it was just a little bit, you know, interesting to see. Um, and, you know, always learning more. I'm a young reporter, so always learning more about how, how things work up here on, on the Hill. Okay, well, look, I'm going to, as an older, as the old goat in the room here, I'm going to say, look, um, Congress... House Veterans Affairs Committee, we love you. We want to work with you. But don't be calling us out. And if Kayla runs a headline that says only six Congress people were there and that's all she saw, then that's all you get in your headline. Okay? We're not going to change stuff just because you feel uncomfortable that your guys come in, sit in the back row, get gaveled in for five minutes, bail, and never hear the content of the hearing. And to make it easy for Congress people right now, what were the biggest takeaways from what you heard as far as testimony uh, I think the biggest thing, and a direct quote from one of the women uh, who gave uh, testimony, Ginger Miller, who's the CEO of Women Veterans Interactive, um, really, you know, poignant quotes. She said, you know, women veterans, we need a seat at the table. She said, you know, we have these, um, you're seeing an increase of women veteran-led organizations. You know, you've got your big VSOs um, that are really storied um, and have been around for a long time. And now you've got these women-led organizations who are coming up and saying, hey, listen to us. And she was saying, you know, put us at the table, like get, invite us into the room, you know, get us in the meetings. And if you if you don't invite us at the meetings, if you don't get us at the table, we'll make our own. Um, and so that was kind of uh, one of the biggest takeaways from that. And second also is just kind of um, the conversation about what the VA, you know, needs to be doing more to make women feel comfortable. So hopefully this isn't the first hearing of its kind that I attend. Um, you know, I was told near the end 
um, that they're looking forward to having more. And so I'm hoping that it's it's more than just talk and, and we'll see a couple more hearings and a lot more representation yeah. uh, at the next one, hopefully. Yeah, and I'll end that segment with the fact that I did speak with a woman uh, at great length about what her experience with the VA was like. And when you say felt uncomfortable, I mean, it was... It was apparent to me she physically felt uncomfortable being in a room full of old smoking and joking men sitting there, and she was there for sexual trauma. And that had to be unnerving for her to, for her to have to walk past a gauntlet of dudes, and I get it. I mean, like, these buildings are old. I mean, there was one way in. There's a lobby. You, everybody sits together. But let, redesign the damn thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with updating it, and I know that when I had my children— uh, rather, my wife had the children, but 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 when we were experiencing, you know, that chapter of our life, we didn't sit in the ER next to all the people with head colds and sniffling, sneezing, wheezing. I mean, you get a cold just sitting in that room. When they had labor and delivery issues, there's a separate wing of the hospital for that. Right. So why can't we just fix something easy? I mean, one trip to HGTV, one million dollar makeover, and boom, you're done. Everybody feels great, and we're giving veterans better damn care. There, House Veterans Affairs Committee, quit sniveling about our headlines. Listen to the CV report. Kayla, thank you. Let's switch gears and talk weed. <laughs> Let's do it. Because uh, I'm all revved up over here. And But before we go over them, just so you know, I want you to stick around because we're going to listen to my interview with uh, Senator Angus King from Maine, who, among other things, recently went to Iraq. He heard from, you know, the troops on the ground, <clears throat> like so many politicians hear from the actual troops on these delegation visits. But uh, I am going to ask him about marijuana legislation specifically because he's on the Armed Services Committee there on the Senate side. But right now, this is the House side we're talking. Yes. What bills are on the floor to allow veterans to access marijuana or research? So there are three big bills. There are a lot floating around and a lot that have uh, come back from previous sessions. But the really big one, um, I would say, is the Veterans Equal Access Act, which would let VA doctors advise veterans on participating in medical marijuana programs in their state if their state has a medical marijuana program. So Hmm. it would allow VA doctors to talk to their vets about it, make recommendations, and maybe even help them fill out the forms to get involved in that medical marijuana program. Yeah, because some states require a card of sorts. You need to, you know, have some sort of doctor or physician sign off on the fact that, according to the state regulations, you are experiencing some of the symptoms that the state has deemed requisite for you to participate in the marijuana program. That sounds easy. I mean, I don't know why the VA would push against that. What's the other one? Absolutely. So there's another bill here there is one the medical medical cannabis research act which would direct the va to complete clinical trials of how effective marijuana is at treating things like chronic pain pts Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. other issues very specific to veterans but you know that the wider population has as well to see okay well you know how vested should we be in medical marijuana you know how interested should we be how many veterans should we be steering toward this and, you know, should should we really get involved in this substance as an alternative to opioids, potentially? Um, but that specific bill is just calling for research, yes. right? 
So this is almost the repeat of 5520, which they let die last year. Absolutely. And it was like all we were asking for with the VA Medical Marijuana Authorization Act of 2018, all they were asking for was do some friggin' research. Right, especially since polls are showing that American veterans and service members really um, approve of research and participating in marijuana programs. I mean, it's 80, 92 percent we're looking at. So I mean, like being against the science would be like standing there 100 years ago being like, I'm not sure about this penicillin. I mean, these illins (laughs) sound dangerous. I'm really not down with the illin. I'm... uh, Wait, that almost sounded kind of cool for a second there. No, it didn't. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like to stand in on the precipice of a medical breakthrough or of scientific research and say, well, it, 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 it doesn't sound like it's a good thing. I mean, I've heard bad things about that drug. Bullshit. And so far, research in, in the private sector has shown potentially that medical marijuana could be really groundbreaking for exactly those yeah. types of issues. Yeah. Okay. And uh, well, there's a third one you say that there's. There is. There's a third one. The Veterans Cannabis Use for Safe Healing Act would would specifically prevent the VA from stripping veterans of their VA benefits if they are participating in a medical marijuana program in a state where it is legal. So if a vet lives in a state where medical marijuana is allowed and yeah. wants to participate, the VA cannot take away their benefits if this bill were to pass. Mm. All right. Well... We'll see. I mean, if I've learned anything in the last two years here at Connecting Vets, and dare I say, if all of us have learned anything from being here at Connecting Vets, it's that there's a lot of talk on Capitol Hill about helping vets and protecting vets. But boy, these bills are few and far between. I mean, it's a lot of back and forth, a lot of back and forth and a lot of talk and a lot of voting. And we don't really see too much action. Right. <laughs> Good Lord. Which is a, it's a little frustrating for, you know, you, you know, you've got buddies down there that need help. And it's like, let's create another task force. Let's create another panel. Let's create. And I'm like, can we like do something? <laughs> and then and then you even go to the panels. You even go to the discussions. And there's only six people that show up. I mean, right. Just, that doesn't help either. <laughs> what a, what think, a pain. I think um, our veterans are really looking for a little less lip service, a little more results. Hey, amen. Uh, hey, last question. Uh, have we heard from the VA? I know that Dr. Kata Franklin's been quoted. What was she saying as you kind of followed this? It looks like the VA has come out pretty strongly against these medical marijuana bills for veterans. Um, They are basically taking the position that if DEA is going to continue to classify marijuana as a Schedule One drug, then the VA doesn't want to get involved in that sort of legal battle of, you know, are our doctors going to be held accountable for uh, prescribing or being involved in helping veterans obtain what the federal government considers to be a Schedule One drug, you know, until the DEA says right. marijuana is not a Schedule One drug anymore, the VA doesn't seem to really want to have any part in it. Mm. And yet reclassification is so not even necessary to begin damn medical research. I mean, it's just... Well, and the VA prescribes plenty of Schedule One drugs. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> Touche. Right on. All right. Well, I'm glad I had you both in the hot seat. Abby Bennett, Kayla Jackson, you can find your strong reporting at ConnectingVets.com. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Now up next on the CV Report, we'll talk to Senator Angus King from Maine. 
He sits on the Rules Committee. He sits on the Senate Committee on Intelligence. And he sits on the vitally important Senate Committee on Armed Services. As you're about to hear, we talked about his recent congressional delegation trip to Iraq and his calling for our continued support in the interest of fighting terrorism in that country. He talked about an emotional moment he shared with fellow Senator Tammy Duckworth and also one of our fellow veterans. And I got a chance to ask him about where he stands on issues like veteran suicide. And can veterans finally get access to medical marijuana or at least begin the research process? So here's how our conversation went. Senator King, welcome to the CV Report. Hey, how are you, man? I'm really good, and a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, talk about your world travels, and then talk about uh, you know what's going on under the great dome of the U.S. Capitol here in Washington, D.C. Well, I'm gonna I'll, I'll share that with you. Share about a trip to Iraq, and also talk a little bit about what's going on in Maine uh, with our with uh, veterans. Uh, I was in Iraq last week uh, in uh, Baghdad, Taji, and Erbil. Uh, and uh, my wife always asked me when I get back from one of these trips, you know, what most impressed you. And what most impressed me on this trip was the quality, the professionalism, the attitude, uh, the morale of the young men and women that we have working for us, uh, particularly in the military, uh, also State Department and our intelligence community. But uh, we flew military from Dubai to Baghdad and then uh, a Chinook from Baghdad to Taji. Uh, I had lunch with a, a bunch of uh, guardsmen from uh, Maine uh, in Taji, and, and uh, they're just incredible people and uh, working under difficult circumstances, uh, unsung, but uh, doing really important work. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a great experience. What was your takeaway with what our foreign policy should be over there after talking to them? I think the the the, the biggest uh, uh, I heard uh, there were two major points. Number one, uh, ISIS is not gone. ISIS is still there. It's still a threat, uh, and there's a very serious concern. And this comes from our military people, our uh, State Department, but also from Iraqis. Uh, that ISIS is a, a serious problem that uh, we have to continue to deal with. Number two, I think what I heard. Uh, from everyone again was uh, what they want from us is continuity. Uh, they want uh, uh, an, an American presence that's very important in that country uh, to kind of hold uh, the coalition together. I didn't realize it till I got over there. The coalition that came together to fight ISIS is 79 countries. And when I went to lunch in the mess hall in, in Taji, there were I saw Swedish uniforms, Canadian, of course, many Americans. And my sense was that the American presence is the glue that holds that coalition together. And so, what they're uh, what they want, uh, and again, this is military, uh, State Department, and also Iraqis, uh, is a continuity. They don't want. Uh, any kind of uh, uh, precipitous uh, change in the in the status, and that we're playing a very important role. All right, Senator, if I may ask, who exactly did you meet with? Because you know Iraq is sliced and diced a lot of different ways, but you've got the Sunni influence. You've got to the north uh, in Erbil. You've got the Kurdish influence. Uh, you have freedom fighters that are often viewed as terrorists by Syria and Turkey. I mean, just so much going on. Who is it that is calling for our extended influence in that area? We had a sit-down with the uh, prime minister, 
and the deputy prime minister had a good long discussion. There were several of their ministers in the room. Uh, I'd say the discussion was was more than an hour, and there were just uh, three of us on the delegation. It was Tammy Duckworth, myself, and uh, Johnny Isaacson, and uh, very substantive discussion. They were very emphatic about the importance of the American presence. Uh, they feel very uh, close to uh, to the American military, uh, and and it was uh, they, they made clear that that uh, they want us to stay there. Uh, I should mention that the the sort of emotional highlight of the trip uh, had nothing to do with foreign policy. When we flew on the Chinook from uh, uh, Baghdad to uh, Taji, uh, we were flying over the t- the area where Tammy Duckworth was shot down and lost her legs. Uh, 15 years ago, almost exactly 15 years ago in November of 04. And the pilot circled the spot where she was shot down. And I was, I was sitting across from her and watching, watching her looking out the, the, the open rear of the, of the helicopter uh, onto that spot. In fact, I took a picture and loaded it onto my Instagram post uh, of, of that moment and of her. And it's, uh, it was a very emotional moment uh, for her. It was the first time she'd been back to Iraq uh, since that uh, incident, and uh, she's a she's a gutsy lady, I'll tell you that. Mm, and one can only imagine, yeah, yeah, the emotion. Uh, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and I bet uh, I dare say there's more than a thousand that would describe that moment. Um, yep. Wonderful. Hey, what are you going to take back then to the Senate Armed Services Committee? I mean, what is an action? Is are are you going to propose that we put more troops over there? No, I don't think there's a uh, a change necessary. I just think we need to to stay at it. Uh, I, I don't think there's a necessity for additional people, but I do think we need to be very aware of the threat that ISIS poses and keep in close touch with the people on the ground uh, uh, in Iraq and to some extent in Syria about what ISIS is up to because they're, they're a danger. We, I say we, the coalition and the uh, Iraqi security forces and the Shia militias and all the others that were uh, fighting against uh, ISIS in the caliphate did a terrific job, an amazing job of rolling back the caliphate and eliminating their control of physical territory. Unfortunately, that wasn't the end of this uh of this group of people or their ideology. And uh, if you can think of it, it's sort of like uh, they're now more like Al-Qaeda. And uh, we didn't quit on Al-Qaeda, uh, you know, because we knocked them out of a few uh, geographic spots. Uh, although the caliphate was important to ISIS, it's clear that they've now sort of transitioned into a more insurgent-based uh, a terrorist uh, organization, and they're still very dangerous. So my message to the Armed Services Committee is that what we're doing over there is important uh, and that it's not a huge commitment in terms of, of troops, but it is huge in terms of the role that it's playing in helping to stabilize that country. Thank you for talking to me about that. Uh, I wanted to move on just since you do sit on the Armed Services Committee in such a critical part of the U.S. Senate. Uh, I, I wanted to ask just about what we've seen in the news lately. The recent veteran suicides. Uh, so often, you know, we see that the transition back home is met with some difficulties. And we've certainly seen in this last week, you know, far too many occurrences oh. of suicide. Is there anything that you're doing in the Senate that we can look forward to that will address this? Well, there, there, there are two things. There's one thing that we did. Joe Donnelly, when he was here, the senator from Indiana, really championed 
an amendment to the National Defense Act that I think was in the bill two years ago that requires a mental health assessment every year uh, for every member of the military. Uh, and I think that's an important step. But the second piece is something that I've been uh, making noises about almost since I first got here. I think it was at one of my very first hearings six years ago. I made the point that I thought the, the, the Defense Department, the Pentagon, should spend as much time, money, and, and personnel on transition out as they do on recruiting. Uh, the data, as you probably know, is that the highest risk period for suicide is in the first couple of years after leaving active duty. And uh, that's an area where, I mean, if we have that data, then that gives us a, a target to focus upon. And I think uh, we've, we've really got to continue working on how to deal with that transition, how to have a warmer handoff from the Defense Department to the VA, uh, how to connect with, with uh, people as they come out. We did get an amendment in the bill last year that allows uh, uh, veterans groups in a, in a particular state to know when somebody's coming, if, if the people voluntarily make that data available. So uh, that's, but that's an area that I think we have to continue to work on. And the, the, the suicide problem is just overwhelming. It's, it's so uh, tragic. Uh, and uh, it's, 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 it's something that, uh, you know, I think, but, but I think if, if we know that the transition is the most dangerous period, then that gives us something that I think we need to do much more work on. Agreed. And I know we both consider this a, a real crisis right now in the veteran community. I wanted to know your thoughts on possibly treating it on the back end as well, not just with classes and coursework and maybe some training, but uh, medically. Uh, I know last year, H.R. 5520, uh, although it was in the House side, not the Senate, but um, you know it died a death on the vine there, they wouldn't approve a piece of legislation which basically forced the VA to begin doing research with medical marijuana. Uh, I know in the past you've co-sponsored things like the Hemp Farming Act of 2018, and uh, you've also championed the Substance Abuse Prevention Act. Going forward, is there anything you could see in the Senate or that you're willing to do to introduce medical marijuana for veterans, and by that, forcing the Veterans Administration, uh, forcing the VA to begin the research with medical marijuana, to, to, to just look at the efficacy well, of it. Well, I, I completely support the research, and I think that's really important to have that data. You know, I was just talking to one of my colleagues on the floor this morning. We, we, have, a, we're, we, have, we have schizophrenic policy when it comes to marijuana. We've got states like Maine who have legalized, uh, both for medical and recreational, and yet we have the federal government making it, uh, you know, a, 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 the equivalent to a hard drug and, and, and illegal. And that re results in all kinds of un, un, un good, uh, bad results, like not being able to bank the business. But in terms of, of research uh, and the VA, I've, I've been a big supporter of that all along. And obviously, I think the other area is PTSD. Uh, for example, in Maine, if we have a, a PS, PTSD uh, patient, they have to go to Massachusetts for treatment. We don't have a, a, a treatment program in Maine, which I think is something that we need to, to work on. My, in my working with the veterans and the veteran service organizations, they tell me there's enough demand, and so I'm working with the VA to try to set up a program at TOGUS uh, so that our veterans don't have to leave Maine for that, for treatment of something that obviously is, is a part of this problem. 
Is there anything the Armed Services Committee or, frankly, the U.S. Senate can do to put pressure on VA? Because I've covered this for two years, and I got to say, who do you think who do you think passes their budget? Of course, we can put pressure on them. I mean, because I, I, I felt you know, heartbroken the, when fifty-five twenty died. I met with Waltz, and I know again that was the House side, not the Senate. But you know, that was such a brilliantly written bill. I mean, it just requested research, and yet the VA returns and their statements yep. to us specifically have been, "Well, it's hard. Well, it's a Schedule One drug. Well, we can't yeah. do it because our hands are tied." That's what the Congress's job is: is to make laws and to try to write laws that that fit with other laws, and if necessary. Uh, carve out exceptions, and I think this is one of them. Uh, and uh, you know whether it comes up in the National Defense Act or uh, comes up in the in the uh, Veterans Committee, uh, uh, I think it's the kind of area that we we have to work on. I mean, I, the most tragic figure to me is that more veterans, more more military people have died of suicide who participated in Vietnam than died in Vietnam from combat. We've lost more people to suicide than we lost to combat. That's uh, that's a, a tragedy, and it's something that we really should be addressing very directly. Can we expect you to author a piece of legislation to this? Uh, you can expect me to work on it in the committee. Well, I appreciate it, Senator. Uh, share with me as we end here um, any last thoughts, anything for the state of Maine. Well, we've got uh, we're we're very fortunate. the the uh, The VA system in Maine is working well. Togus, as you know, I think is the oldest VA hospital in the country, and all the veterans I meet with uh, really love the care that they get there. They they appreciate the leadership there. Uh, you know, we're we're still working through the problem the the, the program of Veterans Choice. We're a rural state. People are a long way from Togus, and we're trying to find the right balance between uh, being treated locally and being treated at at the uh, VA hospital. I think we're we're handling that well in Maine. Uh, I have a guy uh, who works on my staff who's pretty much full time on veterans issues and and has, is in that. You know, he goes to all the meetings, all the groups. Uh, everybody knows him up there, and I think that's that's. That's a commitment I made the day I walked into the U.S. Senate. I said, this is a, a really important group of people that uh, have earned our our uh, respect and, and work. Maine, I think, is the second or third highest state in the country in terms of veterans per capita, a proportion of veterans in our society. And it, it goes back a long way. In the Civil War, 59% of the male population of Maine between the ages of 18 and 45 fought in the Civil War. That's amazing. That's mm. almost two-thirds of the entire state. And uh, that is an, an indication of, of a long historic tradition of Maine uh, 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 fighting on behalf of the country, and now it's our obligation to fight on behalf of those veterans. Indeed, a long tradition that's uh, marked very nicely at uh, Gettysburg. As a matter of fact. Yes, sir. I've, uh, I've seen I'm looking that monument right now at a... Times. I'm looking right now in my office at a bust of Joshua Chamberlain. Yes, indeed, you are a student of history. Let's keep in touch. Thanks, Phil. Thank you so much, Senator.
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend it here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 